0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. My name is Anthony Taylor. Thank you so much for joining us today. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had a scenario where you're communicating with somebody and they took your message totally the wrong way? Or they just didn't get what you were saying and it took a really long time to try to explain your position or explain what you're trying to communicate and it just seemed like they didn't get it? And sometimes you'll be talking with people and they'll share something with you and it just sets you off on the wrong tone. Well, that might be because you guys have different personality types and because of your personality types, you may need to communicate differently. So my guest today is Ashley Comeric from Comeric Communications and she shares her approach using tools like DISC to understand other people's communication style, how they prefer to be approached, and ultimately how to use these type of tools and how you can use these type of tools to improve the cohesiveness, improve the teamwork, and improve the overall communication within your organization. So if this is your first time joining us on the Strategy and Leadership Podcast, we interview managers and leaders from around the world to get their best practices and practical tips on how you can improve your strategy execution, and ultimately become a better leader. So I really hope you enjoy today's podcast. Please do stick around till the end and subscribe if you enjoy it. One of the other things I'll say is, you know, at SME Strategy, we facilitate strategic planning meetings around the world. And so if you and your team are wanting to get together to maybe put a reset on your strategy to get refocused, realigned, and improve your own communication and put some structures in place, then we'd be happy to have a conversation with you about how we can facilitate your strategic planning session over a two-day period and ultimately give you the structure for you to hit your goals coming up in 2019 and for the rest of 2018. So do reach out smestrategy.net. We'd be happy to have a conversation with you about that. But in the meantime, please enjoy my interview today with Ashley Comerick from Comeric Communications. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Today, I am joined by Ashley Comerick, who is a communications and organizational leadership trainer at Comerick Communications. Ashley, how are you today?
1: Fantastic, Anthony. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, it's my sincere pleasure. I really enjoyed our previous conversation when you're telling me about some of the work that you do in your firm, in your practice, and I just thought it would be really valuable to our listeners. So as a way of getting related, can you tell you know our listeners a little bit about you, uh, what you specialize in, and your background that got you to where you are now?
1: Absolutely, Anthony. Yeah, thank you. Well, I um, grew up in uh, Canada and a little bit in the Caribbean, and uh, and then I went to Italy as an exchange student, and I stayed there for 14 years, so I did my undergrad over there in Italian and came back to Canada uh, in 2004 and uh, worked at the Italian Cultural Center here in Vancouver, and I was the director there and had an opportunity to lead a team and uh, create a culture, and really see how people respond to different leadership styles and communication methods. And after that, I, um, when I earned my MBA, it was uh, with a specialization in communication and public relations management. I uh, figured, well, maybe I should uh, flex these new muscles of mine and try a different type of role. And uh, in those different roles, I experienced other styles of leadership, and some of them were inspiring and uplifting, and some of them decidedly not. And it was those experiences that really inspired me to to embrace the training and organizational development uh, vein. And so that's the foundation of my business, my communications firm. I do strategic communication planning and also communication training workshops to help people um, understand their own personalities as well as the personalities of their colleagues. And I use tools like DISC and the five behaviors of a cohesive team to do that.
0: Cool. That's awesome. So, I mean, I, my experience working with teams, these type of... Well, they're exactly that. They are tools in order to, you know, take a team and take people to a whole new level. So maybe we can start with the DISC. What are some of the benefits that you've seen in teams, you know, adopting DISC, looking at that, using it one of admittedly multiple tools in order to better understand people and ultimately take communication to a whole new level?
1: I researched a lot of different tools before I decided that DISC was the one that I loved. And and the reason I really appreciate the DISC approach is that it's simple, yet not simplistic. And, you know, some, some of them are out there, you, you know, different colors or several letters that you have to remember. And DISC is just based on one letter. Or if you're straddling two different personality profiles, two letters. But very easy to remember very easy to apply and not only does this tell you about you your personality your behavior style your communication style your your and it's not a silo and it's not a label it's just your default comfort zone in terms of behavior and communication. The report gives you really detailed information about you, but then it also tells you about the other styles, and it gives you strategies to help you understand how to best relate to members of those other groups and what are their stressors, what are their motivators, so that you can know how to approach the relationship in the most effective way. And that's really critical because, um, you know, they say the golden rule is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But I like to actually use a platinum rule instead where we do unto others as, as they prefer. So if you have a colleague who likes very direct communication, doesn't want to hear about the weekend or any small talk, you know, you've gone into their office, they want to know why, they want the information you've come to give them, and then they want you to leave because they're very busy. Nothing personal, but I'm sure we've all worked with those, those folks. And, and then others, other colleagues, you know, need to talk about the barbecue over the weekend before they get down to business. And you want to know that about them so that you can set the most effective tone possible to achieve the best quality of collaboration.
0: Got that. So again, you know, do to others as they would prefer uh, <laughs> getting right on the court and I, you know, disc it's four letters sort of with purpose and intention. What are the four letters and what do they correspond to people's, uh, you know, learning and behavior style?
1: Right. Well, that's a great question. So if the four letters are D, I, S, and C, and uh, these four quadrants go back to 440 BC, so we're talking about Greek medicine, the four elements, and it's it's interesting. It it goes way back if you want to really look at it that far back, but anyways, now the D style is dominant, and the priorities of people with the D style are that they prioritize challenge, results, they're action-oriented. I is called influence. And they also prioritize action. They're enthusiastic. They're collaborators. The S style is they like collaboration. They're the supportive, the people that want to reach consensus in the group. They want to make sure that everyone is heard. They prioritize stability. And then you have the C category, which really focus on accuracy, they also prioritize challenge and stability. So, you know, the D's are going to be, a lot of top management people are, belong to that D style where they're quick decision makers, they get right to the point, not a lot of small talk, they like to win, they like to be right. So, you know, you need to um, be aware of those characteristics when you're working with someone from that D style, just because, you know that their ego is what it is, and uh, and you just don't want to you don't want to ruin the possibility of good collaboration by you know going up against that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I uh, I have one of my clients who uses a disc profile. Again, it's a tool. It's not that you rely on it exclusively. But for him and his organization is when he put that within the team and posted the profiles of each individual person that did a disk assessment, everybody was able to see on the map or on the quadrant where people lied um, yeah. and how to work most effectively with them so that you could walk into a meeting or you're about to have a meeting with a person. Let's look up their disk profile and see what are some of the ways that we can move that conversation forward so that you know, they're not being a jerk they're just being who they are, or this person is so slow, <laughs> but they're actually really, you know, supportive and stable and trying to make the best decision possible. I am personally brilliant uh, within dominant and influential. I'm a, I'm an orange, I'm probably a bright orange. Uh-huh. So I might be irritating yeah. and impulsive, but I just, you know, want to get things done. So. <laughs>
1: yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, that's a really great application, Anthony, that you just mentioned is, you know, when you're working on team together, or if you're going into a meeting, check out their disc profiles. Oftentimes, the C folks, the ones that are the um, the people focusing on accuracy, they often won't make pronouncements unless they are 100% sure that what they're about to say is backed up by data that they can produce and that has been verified. So if you want to have a brainstorming session, for example, and you put people on the spot to extemporaneously just explode with ideas, well, you might be missing out on some gold from your C colleagues because they're not going to spout out stuff that they're not really sure of, but they might have some brilliant ideas and some really good insights that you'll miss out if if the brainstorming table is the only opportunity to share. So, you know, when you're managing a team and you're wanting to tap into the collective wisdom and ideas and the diverse approaches, it's a good idea to bear in mind the different styles that you've got on your team so that you can make sure that you are putting people in a position to contribute what they have to offer.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that you had mentioned in the pre- pre-show, and as, as, as I was thinking about it right now, and the people who look at facts and make sure they put that is that I'm recently married and I am on the bright orange, and my wife, Hi Erica, is somewhere <laughs> deep in the blue green. And now I can, oh. it's so glaringly, and you know, I do this stuff every day. I talk about culture, I talk about people, I talk about strategy. And it's not until just now that I realized that, oh, this is why I know she's like this, but now I actually have a tool that gives me access to understand how to best work with her in our like day-to-day life so um, yeah
1: and that is so exciting about disc that's another thing that I really love about disc is that you it really transcends you know work personal that boundary because it's just about interaction it's about different personality working together be it in a kitchen or in you know in a boardroom or at a at work so that's true and Another great feature of the DISC tool is that once two people have any two people have done the assessment, you can generate a comparison report, which is personalized for both people and it looks at six different Element of the of the relationship um, between two people, and it puts them on a scale, and it looks at how they relate, you know, in conflict or problem problem solving, or are they open and trusting? Um, Are they bold or are they cautious? And that's a really interesting extra value add that you get from DISC free of charge um, once you've done the assessment. So if you did it with a group of, say, ten colleagues. Each pair could have this comparison report done and it would give you further insight into tips and tricks and tactics to work together most effectively.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I imagine it works in all types of scenarios, even if, you know, there's like the management types that are really involved and understand these things. And I imagine it would work with people who might not be so uh, forward thinking in types of culture assessments. Have you ever worked with somebody, I don't know, in an oil field or something like that, or that type of uh, place where people aren't right on top of culture, but it made a big difference for them?
1: Well, I actually worked with a gentleman who was in, he used DISC when he was in an oil field in Northern Alberta, working in the oil sands. And uh, as part of my research, I actually I worked with uh, with him, and he told me that he didn't think that it would really catch on, and that the guys, because it was predominantly guys up there in the oil sands, he didn't think that people would respond. But to his surprise and delight, they really did. And I have worked with disc uh, in the manufacturing sector, and. I've seen people respond to it there too, because and I think the reason for that is that it's not the tool isn't the the key here. It's the it's the input that people give that's shared and exchanged and and studied and explored, and that's what we're talking about. You know, it's not the it's not the fact of it's not the report. It's you know you and your colleague bringing your stuff to the table, and it doesn't matter what level you're at what sector you're at people are people are people
0: yeah absolutely and you know one of the things is that i found is common with people is they want to win people want to be (laughs) successful and when you give them a, a tool like this to like how can we improve your work how can we make the eight hours that you show up every day, no matter what the condition is, more enjoyable because you understand the people that you're working with. It's not about a management initiative saying, we're going to do this because we're this. It really <laughs> allows people to have a better life, which is really what culture and performance is all about.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we spend so many of our wakes hours at work. And, you know, ideally, we're contributing to something that we feel is meaningful. And we're making a meaningful contribution. And yeah, so you want to connect, you want it to be fulfilling and satisfying. If you're going to be putting that much time and effort into an endeavor, why wouldn't you?
0: Yeah, talking with my wife yesterday, we were talking about culture is that like culture costs money. It's like, yes, but what is the cost of not doing it? It's, you know, there's hiring for culture. But then even if you didn't have hiring for culture. And even if you haven't put all these things in place, there are easy short wins that you can put in place to improve the quality of life of your employees. And I believe that it correlates highly with productivity and return on investment for all of those things. Also, I'll note that this podcast is not sponsored by DISC. It could be, but it's not. (laughs) Um, And it's really that I just wanted Ashley to share because I think it is a valuable tool. So
1: um, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and you're right when you touch on the cost of not investing in culture or not paying attention to communication, employee communication. There are studies actually that have quantified the, the actual concrete costs that's to your bottom line in terms of productivity, morale, and even safety the cost of miscommunication. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and people think, oh, you, know, you sometimes talk to those uh, hardcore, you know, leader manager types. And, you know, they're not really fussed about people feeling happy and warm and fuzzy at work. And it's not about that. Like, that's not the goal here. The goal is having engaged and fulfilled employees who are, happy to show up for work, who want to achieve, who want to advance in their careers or just do a really darn good job at what they're doing. And the cliche goes, you know, people don't quit jobs, they quit their bosses, they quit those difficult situations. And if people are not happy, they will move on or they'll quit or they'll go on stress leave or they'll take sick days more than maybe they really need to, but they feel that they do need to. And that costs money. And replacing people, recruiting, training, onboarding, all that time and effort from your, of your HR department, that all costs money too. So you know, having happy, engaged, fulfilled employees is actually a really good investment.
0: Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that I was going to say before when we we're talking about engaging the, well, say, quieter people, those of you that listen to our podcast may assert that I'm not a quiet person. Um, <laughs> but what we do as part of our planning process is we do a survey ahead of time. So those people that like to sit on thoughts, that like to formulate, that don't like to be rushed, can contribute to the inputs of the planning process and of the strategy in their own time and space. Because really, those are the people that have the really great insights They just don't thrive in loud, fast-thinking environments. So it's about how can you roll that process forward with them. So I want to shift gears just a little bit because, you know, obviously, you do a lot of things, you do everything disc, you do a disc. But one of the things that I thought was really interesting, and that I hadn't heard about much was the five behaviors of a cohesive team. So before I get you to share about it, one of the reasons I'm interested in it is because so many organizations, as they look to develop culture, as they look to get their people on the same page, Or worse, are trying to figure out what's happening because of their toxic culture. Mm -hmm. I see the five behaviors of a cohesive team as a framework as a really valuable tool to take people along through that process. So can you, you know, keep it high level, but can you share what those five behaviors of a cohesive team are and you know what you saw in it for yourself and what you see in it for teams?
1: Yes, Anthony, absolutely. This is one of the most powerful and fabulous frankly, tools uh, that I've seen. It's also simple, brilliant in its simplicity. It's a pyramid structure based on five behaviors. The book by Patrick Lencioni, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, is the the basis of this this tool. So the five behaviors are trust, conflict, commitment, accountability, and results. Those make up the pyramid. Now, trust is at the Of course, and so when team members are genuinely transparent and honest with each other, they can build what's called vulnerability based trust, and that's different from presumptive trust. In that, presumptive trust is something that you can presume, like somebody's going to show up for work at nine o'clock every morning. You presume that, that's the deal. But vulnerability based trust is something that is created when we open up as humans, rather than just workers, people in a workplace. Um, We do exercises with this tool to build vulnerability-based trust by looking at our backgrounds, our upbringing, um, challenges that we've had growing up and, and also in our adult lives. And by sharing those, you make yourself more vulnerable to your colleagues, and they in turn feel That they can share too. And that really cements that foundational level of the pyramid of trust in that first of the five behaviors. Uh, Once you have a foundation of trust on which to build, you get to the next step, which is conflict. And the absence of conflict is not a good thing. It's called artificial harmony. And that means that everybody's agreeing with everybody and you don't have a lot of diversity of input. You don't have contrasting ideas and contrasting ideas needn't be personal attacks. This is just different approaches. This is diversity and there's strength in diversity. So you want to to encourage that. You want to, it leads to innovation, doing things differently, looking at something from a different angle, a different lens. And if you don't have a safe Environment in which people can put their different ideas on the table. You're not going to tap into the creativity of all of your team members. So once you build on that trust, you create the the platform that allows for healthy conflict. Then once you've decided, okay, this is the path we're going to take, the next level, the next behavior is commitment. So when the the cliche says, you know, "People support what they help create," so. Once you've had an opportunity to weigh in, you've had healthy debate, you've landed on a consensus that, you know, this is the path that we're going to take. Well, everyone's weighed into that. That hasn't been a top-down decision That's that's been announced to everybody. You know, this is what the boss has decided, and this is what you will do, and you will like it. No, this is something that we've all talked about. This is something that we've decided, okay, based on looking at everything from all the different perspectives, this is the path we choose everyone's on board at that point. So you have commitment and then you have accountability. So if you've committed to the to the goal, to the path and everyone's got their deliverables, you hold each other accountable. This is again, it's a very horizontal function here. It's not vertical in the sense that, you know, the boss is holding people accountable and and verifying their performance and their delivery on deadlines. It's everyone is holding each other accountable. And you know if you notice that your colleague hasn't submitted that report that he said he would, then you know rather than accusing him, you would say, hey, you know I, I saw you didn't submit that on time. Is there a reason? Did you need help? Are you overloaded? And we're helping each other at that point. We're holding each other accountable because we're all in this together. And then at the top of the pyramid it's results. So ultimate goal, building greater trust through the productive conflict, the commitment, the accountability, and we achieve collective results and celebrate those results.
0: All right. That, um, trying to take all of that. So trust, conflict, (laughs) commitment, accountability, and results. And I mean, if we look just right at the beginning, trust, making sure that everybody, well, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how to communicate trust in a way that resonates in that You know that people are there to support one another, and that you can, you know, believe what the people are saying. Because I've seen organizations with no trust in them, and it just doesn't work. Like you can't, you can't rely on anything. And as I look at it in the foundation of this pyramid, you can't build anything on top of a weak foundation. So trust number one is a foundational piece, and then conflict. And conflict is actually a good thing to get people to disagree, but to push each other. But again. If you have the foundation of trust and there's conflict, you know that that person is doing it out of the betterment of the organization versus something malicious, you know, saying, oh, are you just conflict for conflict stake within escalates to commitment.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, you're spot on. And (laughs) And it's a safe environment. It's a safe environment because you have that trust.
0: I mean, I guess you could do trust falls, but I don't know if your insurance <laughs> covers it. But, uh, but then, yeah, and then from conflict and then commitment, everybody is clear and bought in, which is, you know, What we do with strategic planning is that we have the constructive debate, the facilitation, we have the commitment, the clarification and buy-in. We have the accountability once we create the plan that everybody knows what they're supposed to be doing and then results because everybody's on the same page and there's a foundation of trust and there's a foundation of communication that you can actually perform and get stuff done
1: maybe a follow up to the five behaviors is that you know you you engage in the in in the work you do the surveys you do the re- the assessments and then you establish your the rating uh, collectively that each member of the team will rate what's your rating on trust and how are we doing with conflict and what about commitment and and so on so you you get a report That gives the rating of the team members and you can see which area you need to work on the most or or most urgently, where you're doing okay. So the report shows them as red, yellow, or green. And then you do the workshop, you do the exercises, you work on the areas that need more support. And then after a period, it could be, depending on how urgent it is, depending on The work cycle of the the team, you know, if they're going to be doing a project on a deadline and you want to really tune them up quickly, you might do the the assessment and then you could do a follow up workshop where people will do another assessment survey to um, look at what the progress has been. So it's not just a workshop day that everybody enjoys and it's great and then you go off into the world and hope for the best. This is a tool that sticks with your team and you can do as many follow-ups as you want to measure your progress. And, and it's actually measured in you know the metrics that the, the team gives based on their ratings of the team in those five behaviors. So it's very t- tangible. You can really see clearly, uh, concretely how your team's progressing. It's a cool feature for sure.
0: Yeah. So like taking just the test, but then actually, you know, translating it into an actionable step. So I guess that's a a perfect segue for, for one of our last questions as we finish up here is, Given that there's tools like DISC and um, the five behaviors, you know what are some best practices? What would you recommend to a CEO or a leader who's managing a team, managing a strategy, and and how what they can do to move forward?
1: Well, I am a strong proponent, based on my experience and research. I'm a strong proponent of collaborative leadership, appreciative inquiry, talking to your people, really. Talking to them, hearing, listening to them, but also hearing them because you can listen, but it might not, you might not let it in and be flexible in your approach and be open to taking risks. Take a risk of listening to, you know, what the recommendations are, you know, in a bit of a 360 approach. You know, because you might find that someone on the front line or who doesn't sit around the executive board table might have some insight into how you can make very um, significant improvements um, in their specific area that maybe you don't see on a day to day basis. So, one of the best practices that I recommend is to really be open to listening to your people and creating a culture where people feel safe to share and where their opinions are genuinely valued. A lot of people have a bit of intimidation around leadership people. And sometimes that's created because of the persona of the leader, but you're missing out on, on some gold there. You're leaving some, some good stuff on the table. If you are not uh, allowing your people to weigh in and share.
0: Absolutely. So, you know, get, communication from your people because they might not know something that you do and then you know tying in the other pieces is look at the five behaviors of a cohesive team to look at where your team stacks up and then if you want to get even deeper into that on a one-on-one basis you could use DISC to map out each individual person's traits and how they can communicate with one another so ultimately opening lines of communication and making everything work
1: yeah, absolutely. And one final note that I'll add is that I think it's a good approach to not think of this as a one-off. Think of your long-term objectives in terms of training, in terms of team building, in terms of culture building and creating. And think of the DISC moment as the starting point And plan for check-ins periodically. I mean I've I've heard of companies that, you know, have told me, yeah, we did this three years ago. It was great. It was a great day. And then that was it. And it's a shame because I'm sure that it was a very positive experience for everyone involved. And there could be more growth and there could be more behavior shifts and improvements if you do the check-ins periodically and, and devote time and budget, of course, to building that culture of your organization.
0: Ashley, how can people get a hold of you?
1: I have a website. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn as well. My name is Ashley, A-S-H-L-I, and the last name is K-O-M-A-R-Y-K, and my company is called Comeric Communications, and I'm at ComericCommunications.com.
0: Fantastic. Ashley, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been such a pleasure.
1: It was an absolute pleasure for me, Anthony. Thank you so much for having me.
0: thanks so much for joining us on today's episode of the strategy and leadership podcast if you haven't yet be sure to subscribe and if you enjoyed today's episode consider rating us five stars on itunes stitcher or soundcloud And if you or somebody you know is getting ready to do a strategic planning meeting, be sure to check out our strategic planning course, www.smestrategy.net slash course. And it's video walkthroughs, templates and downloads, best practices, basically everything that you need to be able to create an effective strategic plan for you and your team. Once again, my name is Anthony Taylor. I've been your host of today's podcast. Thank you so much for joining us and I look forward to sharing with you next time.